Welcome to Families for Life with Brian and Brian, a podcast of Oak Hill Baptist Church. Today we're doing Understanding God's Word, Part 5, Songs, Poetry, and Wisdom Literature. Welcome back. Welcome back, Brian. It's good to see you, man. Did I make you laugh there? No, I'm coughing. Oh. <laughs> Here, I'll mute you. There, I'm, I muted you. I'm better. I'm sorry. <laughs> right, right on the intro. I thought it was fine, wow, but I'm not. Man. Right on the intro. It's like, okay, I'm ready to go. Listen, it all listen up. this is real life. We're not even going to redo it. We're just no, going to go. Rock and roll. Let's Put this in the podcast. Let's go. So, uh, yeah, we're here. We're glad that everyone is joining us on the podcast yes. today. Wherever you are, wherever you're at today, wherever you're listening, we could glad. be listening to us in the gym. We could be motivating you. Keep going. Work Don't out stop. So hard. <laughs> You could be in the car. I probably wouldn't listen to us in the gym, but that's probably okay. <laughs> you could be in the car driving right that's now. most likely. Watch yeah. out. Stay in the lines there. Yeah, be careful. Could be doing housework. You. Could be at home. Wherever that, you are. That's also more reasonable. Yeah. We are very excited that you're with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are excited to continue this series. Yeah, this we hope is, it's been helpful for people. Uh, I know it's been... I've enjoyed just kind of recapping and going over these things and learning new things that I didn't even get when I was studying them. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I think genre study is so important. As we mentioned before, the Bible is 66 books, all telling one grand narrative, but it's not like chapters in a novel. They're individual books containing individual genres. Some books have multiple genres in them. And so I think it's important to understand how to interpret the individual genres because you don't look at it all the same way. Just like in our last episode, we look at laws and covenants. You will not interpret Today's material, right. songs, wisdom, literature. The same way. The same way you look at laws and covenants. Not completely different. That's right. And so it's important to understand these yeah. distinctions. Well, so before we get into what we're what we're talking about, don't forget to subscribe, give us a review, share us with your friends, and uh, send us an email with your mm-hmm. feedback at F. 4L at oakhillbc.org. Yeah. Um, today we are talking about songs and poetry and wisdom literature. Uh, the, these are a lot of fun, but they can be hard to understand, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, let's jump right into it here. We've got uh, one of our resources, an introduction to Old Testament poetic books by C. Hassel Bullock, uh, tells us that these poetic books, we're thinking mainly of the five books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs, okay? There are... There are wisdom mm-hmm. literature songs in other writings. You know, like Moses had yeah. two great songs that Song he wrote, one in Exodus 15, one in Deuteronomy 32. Yeah. But but mainly we're looking at these five books, and they are grouped together, and they're they're known as the writings. The Hebrew word... Uh, Kethubim. Oh, man, that's great. Yes. Mm, thanks. <laughs> I, I, just say it with confidence. Kethubim. No one will know the difference. It sounds right. <laughs> but it's known as, translated as the writings. Yeah. And so this isn't law... This isn't this isn't historical work. This isn't prophecy. This is its own category. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, they're a mix of songs and poetry and wisdom literature, that, and they kind of bleed into one another. So we'll talk about that as we go along. But it's important that we understand them as a, as a, a different thing. As I said, you do see songs. And Proverbs, Jesus had some Proverbs, mm-hmm. like we talked about yeah, that's in right. the teaching of Jesus. And, uh, you know, the prophets touched on these at various times. But oh, yeah. we're going to focus in on these five main books. So, Brian, what are your initial thoughts when it comes to this genre? Yeah, when it comes to this genre, my, my initial thought is remembering how much I hated studying poetry in mm. school. Um, but then, it's funny, I didn't enjoy studying poetry initially 
and and I think it was because when I was studying it, I was being I was being taught or a lot of people think that studying poetry is subjective, mm. right? Like it's just whatever you think it means. And and then you had to like kind of guess at what it meant while subjectively coming up with what it meant. It was impossible to interpret it, to, to get what poets were saying. I'm talking about English poetry. So when I would go to, you know, ancient Hebraic poetry, mm -hmm. I was like, I have no idea what's going on. Once I started understanding these things mm -hmm. that we're going to be talking about today and recognizing like, man, there, there's, there's a way to know what's going mm -hmm. on here. And you can know what the author is saying. That is when I was able to see like, this is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it really opened my, my eyes to experience the beauty of God. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I, I think you find the beauty of God in these writings mm -hmm. almost more than anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it's interesting because when I think of these books, I think about how misinterpreted they are yeah. in in our, uh, our, you know, a lot of this stuff is dealing with our relationship to God, mm -hmm. how we think, how we feel, our emotions. And um, if we don't understand how to interpret it correctly, we can get into some really bad things, some real, yeah. some heresy. We can get into some, some other things that we're not really understanding what is happening here. So yeah, that's right. let's talk about the songs first. Okay. So we're, we're thinking mainly the Psalm, the book of Psalms, the, the, the song of Proverbs, uh, I'm sorry, song of Proverbs, <laughs> song, song of, of song. songs, yeah. which some call the song of Solomon. Right. But why do you think songs are so tricky to interpret? Why do people get them wrong? I, I mean, uh, again, a lot of it is uh, that kind of some of it's like personal, you know, mm -hmm. like this person, this this person who's writing is very is speaking very personally mm -hmm. about them and especially their relationship to God. Mm -hmm. And if you're not paying close attention to that element, and and sometimes you have to understand the historical context mm -hmm. of that song to realize what they're really singing about, mm -hmm. you know? And so that can make it really difficult to understand if you're not thinking about those things. Well, there can be some harsh language, you know, we are in, in some very, some very uh, things confusing you're like, things. Is we this just, in the Bible? <laughs> like, oh, we wow. just went through a series, a short series on the main themes of Ecclesiastes in our, in, church. in our church. And if you don't, and our pastor was really great about helping us to, to understand and put that in a biblical framework. Mm -hmm. But if you just read Ecclesiastes, you're like, how do I understand this? You're yeah. like, uh, is this telling me that that nothing matters? Yep. Is everything futile in life? You know. Yeah, that's right. You and so I become a nihilist. Right, yeah. right. So I think it's important. You know, Fee and Stewart in uh, How to Read the Bible for All Its Words say, "How do these words spoken to God function as a word of God to us? Mm -hmm. Because they are not propositions or imperatives or stories that illustrate doctrines." They, they function primarily for the teaching of doctrine or moral behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so songs have a great purpose. They help us to express ourselves to God, to consider his ways. There's a great benefit from us. But we must know how to properly in, uh, interpret them. Right. That's right. Yeah. Songs are frequently misunderstood because they don't always follow a logical system. Right. They, they even apply to us. They, they sometimes don't even apply to us in our modern time mm -hmm. because, again, that that specific context mm -hmm. of that song. Some songs are hard to understand at first because they're negative or they express a great mystery or I'm sorry, misery of the writer. Yes. The writer is like 
in misery and he's expressing yeah. this and you're like, how do I, it, it's almost like somebody, you like ask somebody, how's it going? They're like terrible. And yeah. they start telling you and you're just like, I do not know how to interact with that. Yeah. Um, well, and I think, and it's like one of the, you know, they, they, there's a misconception that Christians have to be happy and joyous right, all the time. And right. you read the Psalms, you're like, wow, sometimes they were just miserable. Like, yeah. like what is happening? We're going to talk about how that, how we interpret that and, and how that kind of plays out. And it's helpful to see. That's right. Yeah. So let's dive into mm-hmm. how do we interpret songs okay mm. first of all we have to understand there's different types yeah right that's right so we see that one of the great examples is laments yeah and that's you know, kind of what we were talking about that that just misery like man the, the, they're lamenting mm-hmm. there's there's they're sad about something yeah. and they're crying do, out do you want to see a lament psalm 3 psalm 22 you know that's a couple of examples there's there's lots of other ones but that's just a couple of examples Yep, there's Thanksgiving songs mm-hmm. where you know kind of the opposite where they're they're thanking God. You can see that in Psalm 18, 30, 65, 92, mm-hmm. 136. Yeah, hymns of praise. Mm-hmm. Go to Psalm 8, Psalm 66, you see hymns of just praising God. Yep. Salvation uh history songs, you, you mm-hmm. see them singing songs about what God has done. Psalm 78, 105, 106. Mm-hmm. Songs of celebration and affirmation, Psalm number 2, Psalm 20, 101. Those are all celebrating and affirming what God has done in and through them. Yeah, wisdom psalms where it's it's wisdom literature in a song form, right? And so you got Psalm 36, 37, 49 and so on. Mm-hmm. Songs of trust, you know, they're you're you're you're, you're singing to God, your faith mm. and trust in Him. Yeah. Uh, Psalm eleven, sixteen, ninety one. So, how do we understand these types? How does the understanding of these different types help us to interpret them? Well, so each song is characterized by its form or its particular form, right? And so, um, we need to understand these forms, these different types to then interpret them mm-hmm. uh, and know even what they're saying. Right. So, so and, how, and how to use them even yeah, in our own lives. That's exactly you know, right. If I'm, if I'm wanting to celebrate and if I want to thank God for, for who he is, I need to go to a Thanksgiving psalm, mm. not a lament. Lament. You that's know? right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and, you, and you can know, like, if you're in a time of life where you, maybe you are lamenting, maybe something is going on you're, and you're just crying out to the Lord, you don't want to go read, you know, uh <laughs> You might you might want to, but but normally you're not going to go read hymns of praise because mm-hmm. uh, it's not, it's going to be disjunctive with with the with your relationship with God. At, at trying to find time. a way to deal with your sadness at the right. time, yeah. yeah. So each song uh, is characterized by its form or particular form. So we must recognize the form. See, like, transitions from subject to subject. See what attention is given to certain issues. Like, the, the form of each psalm, the type, is really mm. important that in what we look at. kind of tells us what, what the song is and what mm. it's doing. And each type of song is intended to have a given function in the life of Israel. Right. So, remember, we're thinking first, what is the author's intended meaning? Mm-hmm. And so, we have to resist the temptation to apply the song without understanding the author's meaning in context and in its function in the life well, this of is, Israel. This is all the Bible. We resist the temptation to immediately jump to, what does this mean to me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we're thinking, how is this how is this functioning in the the, the life of, of Israel and what God is doing? Many of the Psalms are, are, are through David. That's right. It's helpful to understand where do these Psalms fall in the timeline of what David of is, is going through. That's yeah. Right. Uh, number four, we must learn to recognize the various patterns within the song. So, you know, there's arrangements 
there's repetition, there's stylistic play. You know, for instance, uh, a yeah. good example of an acrostic song would be Psalm 119. Each each heading of the sections is a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That's right. And so it was a memorization tool that they could learn this this psalm. And so we've got to understand what are the patterns of the song. It's not always going to... This is where it doesn't help uh, us to make like logical or doctrinal statements necessarily all the time because... Mm-hmm. The, there's not really a logical pattern. It's more of a, a poetic pattern. Right. You know? I mean, be, here's one thing you can take immediately from it is that like God values beauty. I mean, mm. think about the, that's why I, I'm talking about that is like there, God isn't just like, just it, like sometimes God writes to us in very logical, like X, Y, and Z sort of language. And then there's other times where God is like expressive. And, mm-hmm. and, and so it's, it's cool to notice that and, yeah. to, and to be okay with that. If that, maybe that's not your style, that's okay. That's God's style. Get to know God a little bit more by recognizing that reality. Right. So uh, another thing is that each song must be read as a literary unit. Um, so they should be treated as whole songs, not just a single verse here or there. Mm. That'd be like taking a verse out of one song and then, you know, like a modern song, mm-hmm. taking a line out of a modern song and taking a line out of a different modern song and trying to put them together. Mm-hmm. Like, that's going to not well, Especially right. <laughs> taking a verse that... that takes the whole thing out of context mm-hmm. is is dangerous you know and so i think we got to be careful and when we're reading we're not just reading a verse here reading a verse there we're, we're trying to look at it as a literary unit right because a song is is just is doing something all together in yeah. that one song well let's so, look at an example here psalm 138 this is a shorter uh psalm it's a it's a thanksgiving psalm right yeah. so here's the thing the form is not always a, a strict form. You will find elements of it throughout mm-hmm. many of the psalms, many of the Thanksgiving songs, um, but they're not always in order. And we're even going to see, like today, as we look at the, we're going to keep the order, but the psalm, we're going to rearrange the psalm a little bit. This is this kind of reminds me again of studying poetry. You would like mm-hmm. study like this is how poet poems are are done, and then you would like read a poem, and it's like that's not what that's not exactly what you know it right. said when I was studying that. Um, but but you do have the elements there. Right, They're, they are there. So, so uh, introduction says verse one and two of Psalm one says, "I will give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart before the gods. I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word." So this is David expressing his intention to praise God for the love and faithfulness he has shown, as well as the fact of God's greatness and and all of it. It deserves this praise. This is where he starts out, and this is the introduction of Mm -hmm. the psalm, these Mm -hmm. first two verses. Yeah, and then he says in this distress, he says, On the day I called, you answered me, my strength strength of soul you increased. So in verse 3, the distress is unspecified. So we don't really know exactly why he's distressed, but it may be any sort of difficulty in which David is calling on the Lord. Accordingly, the psalm is used uh, is of use to any Christian who wished to thank God for any sort of help. Right. So, so we have the introduction, the distress, mm-hmm. then the appeal. So this is where David is also... In, verse three, uh, in yeah. verse three, appealing to God, right? God is praised for having a, for graciously responded to his who is unspecified distress. So he's already said there there was something that happened. I called, you answered me. Right. 
So the deliverance, this is the next form, part of the form we see is in verses 6 and 7. It says, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. So here, verses 6 and 7 are most pertinent. The fact that God paid attention to his undeserving supplicant, preserved his life in the midst of trouble, perhaps many times, since preserve is in the present tense, so it could have been happening so many times. He rescued David from his foes. This serves to express for us our own appreciation for God's faithful help to us in the past. Yeah, and then finally, we see the testimony. This is sort of out of order. This is verses 4 and 5 and in verse 8. So this is what God has done. He says, All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for you have heard the words uh, of your mouth, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing the ways of the Lord, and great is the glory of the Lord. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. So, all verse four and five, it all constitute David's testimonial to God's goodness, right? God is so uh, beneficent that he deserves praise from even the great of the earth. The kings of the earth must praise him. He can be counted on and, and appealed to in connection with carrying out his promises because really at the end, his love, his steadfast love will, will never stop. It will always endure. That's what he says in verse eight. So, so as we see this kind of model for a Thanksgiving psalm, you have introduction, distress, appeal, deliverance, testimony. This is a, somewhat of a formula to use when yeah. you're interpreting those. Other psalms have other formulas. We don't have time to go into every type right. of formula, but it's important to realize there are common sort of themes that you'll see in the psalms as you read them and help you kind of figure out uh, what the psalmist is trying to do. Yeah, that's right. There, here's a fun category of songs, the imprecatory songs, mm. right? Um, these songs typically are like the the negative ones or mm -hmm. ones that are like calling for uh, God to <laughs> take yeah. care of enemies, right? Things yeah, like what do, that. What do we do with them? I mean, some of them have no conclusion. Mm -hmm. Some of them seem to blame God, God almost. Yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah, like how long, oh Lord, th things kind of like that. Uh, biblical songs run the gamut of our human emotion, mm -hmm. and so it's helpful because we also experience these emotions in life. What's really cool about this is we get to see that. God can handle our emotions. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes Christians today almost like hide how we're really feeling mm -hmm. from God because we're afraid. It's almost like we're afraid he's going to get mad mm -hmm. at our emotions and, and, and our improper emotions, maybe even our mishandling of our emotions. Like God can't handle that. And if we let him see how we really feel, he's going to be like, how dare you, you know? But that's not what we see. God in created these songs. us with emotions, right? Exactly. Okay, emotions are a part of, of life. Okay, sadness and anger are are not inherently sinful. However, they may lead to sinful thoughts and actions mm -hmm. if they're not put in check. Okay, it's not it's not sinful to be sad. It is sinful to uh, be sad and not trust the Lord, right. or to be so sad that you fall into depression and you take your life. You yeah. know things like that. I mean, we're thinking about. God can handle all of the the joy, the, mm -hmm. the sadness, the anger, the you know all of the different emotions that we that we face. We can we can bring them to the Lord. He's yeah. not don't, he's not 
It doesn't scare him. And these these songs kind of show us how to channel and, and guide our anger or our sadness or frustration to God mm-hmm. and, and through God rather than to somebody else and, and handling them right. improperly. Right, that's right. And, that, and that's where the sinful part comes in is when we is when we when we turn away from God right. and we turn to our own means to handle these things. That's right. That's why I was saying I don't want to I don't want to be clear like sadness, depression, those are not sinful things. Yeah. But if we choose to try to Handle them ourselves. Handle them ourselves and, and, and not turn to the Lord, then that can lead us to sinful thoughts and actions. I was teaching on uh, on uh, Jacob wrestling with God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in that, it says that Jacob uh, was named Israel because he fought with God and prevailed, um, even though God, you know, dislocated his hip. And you think through it, and, and what we came to the conclusion was that, like, the, the, the way to lose in a wrestling match with God when you're in this, like, imprecatory, you're feeling these emotions, If the way to lose is to get angry at God and to let go of him mm-hmm. and to try to do things yourself. But the way to prevail is to humble yourself mm-hmm. and hold on to God. And that's what we're talking about. That's what you see in these imprecatory psalms mm-hmm. is they, they come to God and they're like, God, what the heck is going mm-hmm. on? You know, like, ah. And, and they hold on to God even tighter and they humble themselves to God. Right. That's how we handle our emotions, even when they're super intense. Right. So these psalms help us to channel or guide ourselves, our emotions to God. Exactly. Right. And so we remember God can handle anything. Here's the thing: we have to. We also must remember that the problem is not with God. Right. It is with us. If there is right. an issue or a problem, God is always holy and righteous. So we don't want to start accusing That's Him right. That's, of yeah. sinful actions. That's you see that it's in Job. okay. It's okay to ask God questions. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to, to accuse him of doing something sinful or wrong, that's right. cry out, beat your chest, yell, scream. Mm-hmm. That's what these psalms help us to do. Yeah. But when you're done, yep. God is still there. Right. God is still your father. He is still listening. When we settle down, we come back to a place of trusting God and following God in, in all situations. Yeah. So we've talked about songs some different songs and uh there's there's a bunch of different you know things there's too much to talk about we can't talk about all of it but there are three big benefits of the songs mm-hmm. so the first one is that they guide us to worship mm-hmm. right so they they teach us how to worship they they press us to worship in every circumstance of our lives. You, you, can, none of us, I, I mean, maybe there's somebody listening who has experienced all of the different types of things these songs represent, but probably not. I mean, there's so much that these songs represent and you can worship God in every single uh, type of scenario you're in in your life. Yeah, the fact that we find them prominently displayed in the Word of God, we find an entire book, a collection of, of songs, helps us to understand how important worship is to the Lord mm-hmm. and how corporate worship, personal worship, but also corporate worship, yeah. uh, and how we need to value that in our lives. You know, one of the things that um, you know I know men especially struggle with is singing. Yeah. You know, singing in church. You know, we need to be examples in how we sing out and we praise the name of God. I mean, these these songs, these biblical songs are here in the Bible, written by men of old, written, yeah. laid down by, 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 by David, who was one of the manliest, manliest men. men. That's the way I talk about it. It's like the, some of the manliest men ever walked the face of the earth they felt are their writing emotions. these songs right. and, and embracing that. Like, you're not that manly if you can't. Uh, embrace your emotions right. and deal with them. Mm-hmm. 
So that's, that's, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Number two, they also, uh, the benefit is they, they demonstrate how we can honestly relate to God. I love how honest and, and just open it, the Psalms are. And I think they drive us to like, to that place in our lives, because listen, we're in a relationship with God. We have a, uh, we, we have a, a father, son, we have a, you know, uh, you know, there, there's aspects of it which are like the bride and bridegroom. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah. we are in a relationship that that you know it's okay. It's like with your spouse. If all you ever did with your spouse was um, like talk about surface things, mm-hmm. you never got to the deeper. You never like had emotional discussions or never got frustrated or got angry. Like that would not be a real relationship. Yeah. You know, it'd be like an acquaintance. That's right. You know, and so. I think there's a deepening of a relationship when we're honest, mm-hmm. when we honestly relate to God. I, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it helps us do that and know how to do that with God. Uh, it also demonstrates the importance of reflection and meditation upon the things that God has done for us. I mean, think about, like, they're writing songs, okay? Like, I, I'm, I've, I've tried to write songs in the past, and I am not good at it. I know other people who are really good at it, but it takes a lot of thinking and, and, and intentionality. And so they're taking their personal experiences, good, bad, or, or otherwise, and they're, they're meditating on it and putting it into this form of this song that they would sing. And it's, it's just like this deep reflection on who God is and what he's done and how he's impacting their lives. Mm-hmm. That, that is, again, that is beautiful, and that is a part of who God is. Mm-hmm. And it helps us to, to remember that. That's what we need to be doing ourselves. Maybe not writing songs. If <laughs> I'm not good at that, mm-hmm. but I can read some good songs and right. really enjoy them. So how has God used biblical songs in your life? Yeah, um, this is when, especially when I feel, uh, like if you ever get to the place where you just feel kind of like blah in your spiritual life, like you're just not feeling things. Mm-hmm. I don't know if other people resonate with that, you know, kind of like down maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I go, I just go to the Psalms. Like the Psalms are kind of the, I think I read, especially the Psalms, I think I read them more than anything else in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's when I can, uh, again, just really see the heart of God. And, and I, and I can be encouraged and, and know that, I, I mean, again, I can know that he is going to be with me through anything because I see him being with these people. I see David writing songs like, like I'm about to die. Mm-hmm. And then the next song is like, you've defeated my enemies. Right, and I'm right. like, okay, okay, I'm going to be all right. Yeah. And I can, I can, I, it helps me know, like, I think about, you know, when we don't know what to pray the spirit, you know, utters for us and prays for us. Well, right. well, he has even done that already in the word uh, through some of these songs and these prayers that I can go to and I can say, God, this is, yeah, this is exactly what I need mm-hmm. to pray. And it, and it just helps me reorient myself to God in my heart. Yeah. It's been, it's been the best. I mean, I couldn't imagine my life without mm-hmm. these, without these songs. Mm-hmm. I really couldn't. So how about you? Yeah, I think one of the things is it, it's helped me to find words to to praise God and to be thankful to God in in different ways. You know, say say in your in your prayer life, it's mm-hmm. like um, it's like you just like okay, thanks God. 
I praise you. I praise you for, right, for yeah. this you and say for that. Same thing over and over it's and over like, again. no, no. And you read the Psalms, it's like, I praise the God of the heavens and the earth mm-hmm. and the creator. And, and, you know, you get into a lot more, it gives you more depth, language, yeah. more depth to understand how to praise God and what to praise God about. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things that's helped me to do is, is as I read through the Psalms, I, I have been praying through the Psalms as well. Yeah, that's I've good. done that in the past. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about another uh, element to this that's very, very similar, a lot of overlap, and that's poetry, mm-hmm. right? So we're, we're going to talk about uh, this, uh, A Basic Guide to Interpreting the Bible by Robert Stein is a big help to this. We talked a little bit about poetry in, this first, uh, in our first genre episode and when we talked about the teaching of Jesus because he used poetry, mm-hmm. but poetry is a super broad category, mm-hmm. right? So it encompasses these songs, wisdom literature, and there's some things that are unique to each specific genre. Um, so, you know, we want to yeah. deal with them a little separately. Yeah, yeah. Poetry in the Bible is unique because of parallel parallelism mm-hmm. or rhythmic balance. You yeah. know, poetry, Hebrew poetry is different than modern poetry. English poetry, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we can find this primarily in the book of Job. Uh, we can find in Psalms and uh, Proverbs. And uh, even we can find poetry in uh, the prophets of Isaiah, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so Ecclesiastes, well, we're going to talk about that in wisdom literature more. But that's why I'm saying a lot of these categories it, sort of, sort well, of and vary kinda, and That's and what I overlap. think is hard to me about poetry and songs and things like that. It's like the only way I know how to describe it is like it's right. just wibbly-wobbly. Like, right. like there, there are definitions, mm-hmm. there are things to it, but... But they overlap so much, right? And it has a lot of fluidity, right? So it's kind of hard to put your finger on. They can be difficult to interpret, is because, like Doctor Science says, the writer is less concerned with a precise description or scientific accuracy than evoking emotion or creating certain impressions. That's what I'm talking about. And this about. is yeah. why, you know, you go to the doctor's office, he doesn't make his medical notes in poem form, <laughs> no. you know? Look at the redness of your of your mole, you know? I It, oh, it, it is the, red like the, the sun, oozing. you know, yeah, whatever. No, it's not doing that. He yeah. doesn't do that, you know? And, and equally absurd, wouldn't it be if lovers would share their feelings in cold, emotional, scientific <laughs> language, you know? Well, there's, there's that makes me Your think beauty of- is symmetric of your face yes exactly i love you because and you're like you start listing number one number two right. number three that would be ridiculous we we talk in poetic language to elude to exude emotion and right. feeling yeah that's right so we're gonna look at uh, an example of how we try to interpret poetry right in the bible yes. so yes. psalm one it, it provide it's a great example of how uh we can see parallelism yes. and how that will help us understand the psalm so let's look mm-hmm. at that so uh, we have parallelism on a, on a number of levels here right so as we take the psalm as a whole we have verses one and three contrasted with four and five mm-hmm. right so let's read one and three here uh blessed or read psalm the first verse blessed is the one who does not Walk in the steps of the wicked. Stand in the way of uh, that sinners take. Sit in the com- sit in the company of mockers. Basically, they could have said, "Blessed is the one who doesn't hang around sinners." Right. You know, they could have just said that, but it's using this language to give us this sort of these these parallel this parallelism this this rhythmic balance here, mm-hmm. right? And so it's it's describing what the blessed person does, and then you read. Uh, number two, right? Verse two. 
Yeah, and so it says, so here's the blessed person who delight, who, who, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord mm-hmm. and who meditates on his law day and night. So you've got this. It's really, it's like a compare and contrast. It's like the blessed person doesn't do this, but they do this. And they do do this. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, although delight and meditate technically mean different things, just as walk, stand, and sit mean different things, the point in verse 2 is to emphasize the similarities. It is the righteous man's delight to meditate on God's word. The blessed person is consumed by God's law, verse 2, which is contrasted to the negative actions in verse 1. So there's this contrasting thing that's going on here, so you see it more clearly. It's very easy to see in Psalm 1. That's why we picked this one, is Mm -hmm. because it's very easy to see. But it can continues in verse 3 where it says uh, the the person is like uh, this person a is like a tree planted by streams of water and yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prosper so we see lines 2 and 4 right are parallel they say roughly the same thing, mm-hmm. but giving us sort of these descriptions of of what is happening and it's the antithetical uh, parallel in verse four of what the wicked do. Yeah, it says, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. So you can see so clearly that there's this tree that has fruit and green leaves in verse three, but then you have the chaff, which is this part of a of a grain that would... It's useless. It's useless. And it would just be floating away in they the would, wind. Have you seen them where they would separate the grain, they throw it up in the air, and, and the, grain, the grain would fall back down because it's heavy, right. and the chaff... The, the 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 husk of mm-hmm. the grain would float away. Mm-hmm. It was it was part of their process of separating the the grain. And so he's using this really symbolic language of of uh, agriculture, right? Something that they would really understand. You know, if you don't farm, if you don't have a, a process to know or or a thought to know what chaff is, you've got to un- look this up and understand, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's right. And you have to you have to figure this out. So it continues in verse five where it says, "Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous." So the wicked and the sinners are parallel terms here. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so judgment and assembly of the righteous are also synonymous. There's even a parallel going back to verse 1, where the righteous do not stand in the way of sinners. Here, the sinners cannot stand with the righteous. Right. Okay? And then the final verse. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So because the Lord is the cause of the protection of the righteous, we can assume, based on the parallelism of the Hebrew poetry, that the Lord is also the cause of the destruction of the wicked. Because destruction is the destiny of the wicked, we can assume that the destiny of the righteous is the opposite of that, even though that truth is not explicitly stated, because that's the form, that's what's happening here. It's using this compare and contrast. So when it says something about one thing, you automatically recognize it's saying the opposite about the other. So if it's saying the wicked cannot stand, you know it's implying that the righteous will stand. Right. How beautiful is that? You get the imagery as you read this in your mind. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? You get the imagery of of what a sinner is and what a righteous person is, and, and it's like a tree and like a chaff, mm-hmm. and you immediately see all of this sort of comes to life in your mind. They could have said, 
a sinner does this, mm-hmm. a righteous person does this. And the Bible doesn't does even do say that. that. Yeah. But but this is so helpful because it gives us a context and images in our mind. So by recognizing the figurative language, you know, metaphor, simile, hyperbole, per- personification, it's important in interpreting poetry. And in Hebrew poetry, understanding parallelism Mm-hmm. is an important key. By yeah. carefully analyzing the parallelism, many poems will become much clearer. Mm-hmm. When studying Hebrew poetry, developing some a type of yeah. diagram can help to visually establish the parallel. So if you're if you're really going to study it, yeah. you write it out and you kind of you can kind of point out where the parallels are and how everything connects. Right. So even though the gist of the psalm might be summed up in one sentence, analyzing the poetry will help the truth of God's word sink into our soul much more thoroughly. Yeah, so I mean that's like deep level uh study right there and that is really helpful. I think there's a lot of really helpful books out there that people could look into. Um you know commentaries especially find a good commentary on these, you know, uh books of the Bible that will do a lot of the work for you. Um, because I, I'm not an expert in poetry. I'm not an expert in English poetry, much less, you know, Hebrew poetry. ancient Hebrew poetry. So it's good to have, you know, scholars do a lot of that work for you. But but you can go read those commentaries and then come back to your Bible reading and be like, oh, man, I get it. Like, oh, wow, I see even more of what uh, is being said here than what right. I saw before. Right. So let's move into talking about wisdom. This is our final section uh, this is a little bit of a, a larger section because yeah. we're we're coming. This is really where everything kind of comes down. Once again, um, you know, wisdom literature is composed. You know, it's like all, a lot of this is poetic. A lot of it is wisdom. You know, and so as we as we think about this, we are thinking primarily Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and Job. Mm-hmm. Okay, some mm-hmm. of Psalms, Song of Solomon, they also fit in this category, but. I think before we talk about the actual literature, we have to ask the question, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? So what it is, is there's many different ways to talk about it, right? What I've heard people say the most is there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge mm. is knowing, you know, what things are mm-hmm. and, and and knowing the truth. Wisdom is knowing how to apply it. Yeah. So that's one well, way to think about it. And I think Fee and Stewart would agree with that. They say wisdom is the ability to make godly choices in life. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I think the point is, is wisdom uh, helps us to see the, the personal side. It's not this abstract thought or exercise. Okay. It's not just you're, you're thinking about something philosophically. You're, you're actually applying it in your thought and in your action. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. Wisdom to me is, is like, I, I love, I love the idea. Wisdom to me is like this almost, um, it is kind of a mysterious thing. And and the reason why I think that is because when you think about wisdom, it's, it's, it's like taking all the fields of knowledge and understanding, like philosophy, science, theology, everything, every way of knowing something and coming down to how does reality work? Mm. And so it's, it's kind of like, how do you know anything? It, it's, it can be super duper big, but what makes it simple. So if you're, you're, if you're an unbeliever, you don't believe in God, 
it can be overwhelming because mm-hmm. you just can't know everything. And how, how does the world work? It's overwhelming. But as a believer, it, it gets really simple because you can think about all of these big level things. And mm-hmm. like you're saying, you bring it into how does it work? Well, you know the God who invented reality. Right. You know the one who invented it. So it's <clears> like I was saying this to you before. It's like driving around in your car with the person who built it. Mm. And you you don't have to worry about anything mm-hmm. because you're, if something happens, you can get out of the car with the guy who invented it right. and fix the problem. Mm-hmm. You're going to be able to walk through life because you know how it works because you're walking through life with the one who invented mm-hmm. life. Well, and, that, and that's important because the wisdom literature itself tells us that it, it recognizes wisdom begins and ends with God. God. He's the creator and the arbiter of wisdom. That's right. And so Fee and Stewart also say wisdom has nothing to do with IQ. It's mm. not a matter of cleverness and quickness or skill and expression or age, how old you are, your experience in life. It is a matter of orientation to God out of which comes the ability to please him. So you can be you, you, you can be a high school dropout. Mm-hmm. You can never go to college. You can you can be the smartest man on the earth. You can have all the degrees. Doesn't make you wise. Both ways. Doesn't make you wise. Neither of those make you wise. You the 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 point is is that if you listen to God, you follow God, you read his word, you apply it to your life, that's what makes you wise. That's right. Your relationship to God makes you wise. Even James 1 chapter 5 is such a comfort because it says if you earnestly seek God, God will give you wisdom. That's right. Yeah. Because because he gives you himself. Right. And he walks with you. And so, you know, I, I think that's kind of the the things that I really take away mm-hmm. from this definition of understanding what wisdom is. It really comes down to being with God and understanding all of life through the lens of, of who God is and how you relate to him. How, how have you seen this become a reality in your life? Like wisdom and how mm-hmm. this, this works out? Yeah. So it's hard to explain because, again, it's not this, like, it's just not easy to put your thumb down on, but I would say whenever I'm having to make decisions or, or think about things uh, or understand how life works, how relationships work, um, I'm able to go to scripture and see more about it from there, from, from what God has already said. Mm-hmm. But I think about wisdom and walking through life almost like uh, walking with uh, somebody on the road. When you're walking with somebody down the road, you you end up going in the same directions or like if you're walking with your spouse and you're holding hands, it's rare that you have to say, no, no, go this direction. You just kind of automatically know Mm -hmm. there's things that happen in the ebb and flow of the walk that you recognize like, oh, we're going this way or oh, we're going that way. And that is kind of what it's like to walk with God. And that's Mm -hmm. how it's always been with me and making decisions. I just, I just feel, focus on him and all of a sudden he orients my desires towards what he what he wants me to live mm-hmm. i don't know how to describe it other than that but mm-hmm. it's just me keeping my eyes on the lord through spending time with him and then my my desires follow him mm-hmm. yeah. it's weird and yeah. it's cool it's 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 a mysterious uh, miraculous sort mm-hmm. of thing that that can only be described spiritually i mm-hmm. i think so how about you yeah i mean i've seen this play out uh, a lot in like pastoral leadership you know oh, yeah. um you know i i definitely would not think of myself as the uh the smartest person you know but i'm able to navigate mm, yeah. where god wants me to go and what god wants me to do and, and help to lead out in in 
ministry because of the wisdom he's given me. And that's because of the, 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 the Bible that I've read, the relationship I have to the Lord, how yeah. he's helped me to apply that to my life. The so principles of life, you know, from him. Right. Yeah. And so I can navigate relationships. I can navigate ministry because of the wisdom yeah, God good. has given me. And so I think that's, that's important. I think that's important for pastors, especially for longevity of ministry. Listen, you can read all the leadership books you want. And I like leadership books. I'm not speaking against right, them. No, yeah. But if you don't have the wisdom from the Lord, then won't be you will not be long in ministry yeah or or you won't be happy in ministry maybe yeah. I should say it like that and you'll you'll aggravate your people yeah. you'll aggravate the people God has asked uh, you to uh, oversee so yeah. well let's talk about uh, some of the um, uh, abuses of wisdom literature you know the problem is wisdom literature ends up being misunderstood and even abused. Mm -hmm. Have you, have you seen this before? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of the times the way I've seen it misapplied uh, is by thinking that uh, a principle that God has given is a promise, like mm -hmm. a, a, like an exact detailed right. promise. And it's like that, that's not really what's going on mm -hmm. here, you know? And so, well, that happens, that like, happens a lot. That Like the first thing is people read the book only in part. Mm -hmm. They fail to see the overall message. Okay. So like, for instance, in Ecclesiastes, there's this, there's this kind of poetic language that says a time to be born, a time to die, time to plant, a time to pluck up. If you, if you interpret that literally, you're like, um, well, I, I, God's telling me I got to plant. God's telling me I got to die. You know, it's or almost like yeah, like there's no like I'm not in control of anything and I don't get to I don't have a decision to make in anything. You know, it's like it's like just God God is just, you know, arbitrarily like doing whatever right. in my life. But as we understand the whole of Ecclesiastes, they are, he is talking about the futility of life, mm -hmm. especially when it's lived apart without from God. without the end goal of of God That's right. and pleasing God in mind. Yeah. So uh, people often misunderstand wisdom uh, terms and categories as well as wisdom styles and literary modes. So thinking about Proverbs fourteen seven, it says, Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet uh, words of knowledge. Well, wisdom literature uses the term fool mm -hmm. a lot, and it kind of has these, it has a meaning behind it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what do we if we don't understand what it's saying by a fool, mm -hmm. well, then we might just, you know, apply if this somebody to anyone. says, if you say something foolish, does that mean I immediately get up and leave right, and walk right. away? No. No, that doesn't mean you're a fool just because you say something foolish. We're mistake. talking about somebody right. who is is living in constant ignorance of the ways and of rejection God, of God's and rejection ways. of yeah. God. Yeah. That's right. That's a person that we don't need. It's not that we, not, we don't ever need to be around that person. It's that we don't need to subject ourselves to listening and following and learning from a person but, like that. But you've got to know that that's how wisdom literature is using right. that term mm -hmm. in order to realize what it's, yeah. you know, fine, fully saying there. So number three abuse is people often fail to follow the line of argument in wisdom discourse yeah. they try to live by what was intended to be understood incorrectly mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay so job 15 2 a wicked man rides in pain all the day through all the years they're laid up for his ruthlessness you know this is interesting because when this comes this is from the um 
point of view of one of his friends. Yeah. And and if you read, if you pull out verses from Job, there are these dialogues where Job is going back and forth with his different friends. And what they're saying is is not good. Well, you know, because they're see saying people do that. His wife and even his wife says, "Curse yeah. God and die." We would not take that and interpret that literally. That would be an abuse of that verse, just like the wicked man writhes mm-hmm. in pain. Like we don't take that literally to think that just because you're wicked, you're writhing in pain. And Job is writhing in pain. Right. Right. So is he wicked? Right. What What are you implying there? Well, and that's, you're taking this mm-hmm. way out of context. Yeah, because you, you gotta you gotta go look at what the whole of Job says. You know, at the very end, it says that his friends spoke wrongly of God. So I see people quoting the friends of Job all the time. And yeah. It's like, listen to this truth about God, and it's like, yeah, but God said that they spoke improperly about him. You should be more careful quoting. <laughs> right. Him. Exactly. And so they they don't follow the full line of argument in that book of of the Bible in right. that wisdom book. So when we interpret it correctly, okay, we we get some great lessons about the Lord, right, mm-hmm. and about ourselves. There is a theology to wisdom literature. There are four main things that wisdom literature teaches us. Yeah. Number one is the sovereignty of God. Really, there's a ton about the doctrine of God, right? Yeah. This is this is key to interpreting wisdom literature. Mm-hmm. So Proverbs twenty one one, the oh, king's yeah. heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Teaches I, us God I, I love that verse. is in control. That's right. Also in Job 42, 2, I know that you can do all things, and there is no purpose of you of yours that can be thwarted. That's Job yeah. to God. Yeah, God is sovereign. We see it all over the place. We also see that uh, humans are responsible. We see a responsible humanity. Mm-hmm. So this is where wisdom is is fun. It, it you know kind of is well rounded, right? Uh, it says in Proverbs eighteen seven, a fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Yeah. So what this is saying to us is, don't be a fool. Yeah. Guard your mouth. Yeah. Be quiet. There's a lot of honestly, a lot of wisdom is just hey, be shut quiet. Up. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, it also says in Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen, fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So, mankind, there is a sovereign God who is in control of everything. But we are also responsible for mm-hmm. ourselves, and right. we have to. I mean, it teaches very clearly. Like you have a, a role in this. It also teaches us there's an orderly universe, right? Proverbs 10.30, the righteous will never be removed, but the wicked uh, will not dwell in the land. Yeah. Okay, so there's like a, there's a good and an evil, mm-hmm. right? Good exists, evil exists, good is found in God, evil is found in the heart of man here. And so we're, we're understanding there's, there's an order to the universe, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Job 8.4, if your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgressions. There's a, there's a payment or a penalty for sin. Mm-hmm. So it kind of helps us to understand there is there's a, a way the world works. There's an order to the, how God has created and made things. Yeah, that's right. And then finally, there is a recognizable immortality. Okay, so it says, uh, "And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it." Ecclesiastes twelve seven. So so right there, you see this this. Uh, the spirit talking about the spirit returning to God, there there is immortality being described here. Listen to Proverbs fourteen thirty two: the wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge in his death. 
Like that's weird. Like some people look at I I I I follow some people who look at the Old Testament and they and they try to do away with the uh, resurrection type mm. understandings of it because they they think like oh that wasn't really what they were thinking then and I'm like what else in the world were mm. you thinking if you're right. writing the righteous finds refuge in his death right like there's no refuge in death unless you recognize immortality mm. unless you recognize there is a resurrection there is a life with God after this life well and I think uh, once again wisdom literature is pointing us to something it's yeah. pointing us to the gospel it's pointing us to the fact that we we, in and of ourselves, dealing with our emotions, our human sinfulness, our our own way of thinking, even our own ungodly wisdom, gets us nowhere. That's right. But when you when you orient yourself towards God, you point yourself towards God, you will find hope. Mm-hmm. And it's pointing us to the gospel. Much of wisdom literature is saying, don't look to yourself, look to the Lord. That's right. And it's pointing us to something greater. Yeah. So how do we interpret this wisdom literature? How do we, what are our principles? This is the the application here. Mm -hmm. Okay. So wisdom is not legal guarantees from God. So we have to, we have to. um, That's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah. We have to make sure that the, we we understand the promises of God are different than the principles Mm -hmm. of God. Okay. They are these, many of the Proverbs that they are, or the Proverbs are general principles, not divine commands for your life. Okay, Mm -hmm. there's no timeline given and how God's going to bless you or even how God's going to bless you, when he's going to bless you, how the blessings will come and in what form. Right. So it's not like God says he's going to bless you. Well, I'm waiting on my blessing, God. When am I going to get my uh, my thousand dollar reward for for honoring you? That's that's not what he's saying. Yeah. You know, yeah. What it is saying, though, is that if we obey the principles, we walk in these principles of life. Generally speaking, these things that are spoken of that are promised are going to come true you know but it's not a guarantee mm-hmm. so there there are places where god makes straight up promises mm-hmm. in scripture that you can take that to the bank exactly for what it says but these principles are more about how to live life and how life mm-hmm. usually works because of how god has designed right. it. right they don't account for exceptions for instance god will take you through difficult situations mm-hmm. even though you have followed him and we learned that in the book of job so, right well, that's uh, yeah mm-hmm. even though you've sought to be wise in him god will allow harm to come to us for his glory okay yeah. Now, in general, we know the wisdom literature teaches God is the protector of life. But specifically in, in, in our lives, God may allow a circumstance to befall you that is that is difficult or hard to go through for his glory. That's right. Yeah, I mean, that's what's cool about the wisdom literature is that you really can't escape it mm-hmm. um, because you read uh, and you think about Job, Ecclesiastes, and Proverbs and how they interact with each other. Proverbs is like, this is how life works. Do this. And you're like, oh, okay, I'll just do this. But then, you know, Ecclesiastes, you know, comes along. Well, uh, let's say Job. Job comes along, slaps you in the face, and is like, actually, you can do all of those things, and your life might still mm-hmm. be terrible. Right. And then, and then you know, God shows up, and he's like, hey, I'm in control. I'm mm-hmm. sovereign. And then Ecclesiastes comes along and is like, nothing matters. Everything's Everything ends in nothingness. But here's where it all comes down mm-hmm. to fear God and follow him. And so every part of wisdom literature just keeps making you realize like, oh, it's all about God. Right. 
and and so it's kind of it's kind of interesting. So why, why do you think people struggle with this this uh, proverbs are principles, not promises? Well, because we want things to be so uh, we just want things to be easy, right? I think, and so like you take Proverbs twenty two. Six, you know, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. We want we want it to be easy. We want it to be cut and dry. Well, there are so many Christians that have raised their children in the Lord, and the yeah. children have walked away. That's right. And what what um, what this is saying is generally, if you raise your children in the Lord, they will they will walk and grow in that way. Um, but. There are exceptions. As children get older, they have their own personal responsibility. They have their own sin. They have their own things to deal with. They have their own relationship with God they have to, to grapple with. That's right. You know? Yeah. And so that's a principle, not it's a, a principle. promise. And, that, and it's not easy. And you have to, you have to, and it, it ultimately makes you come back to God. Mm-hmm. You cannot do, this is what's, this is what I'm getting at when I'm saying you can't escape wisdom because you can't escape God mm-hmm. in this. You can't just follow the rules right. and not have to interact with you God. Also, you also don't have a, a timeline on this either. You're right. So it's not like that's true. if you raise them, they will they will follow the Lord all the days of their life. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's like they may stray from the Lord and then come back to the Lord. You know, I mean, there's this, th- that's where you cannot interpret this so literally and strictly to um, mm-hmm. to, to mean like, like you would have promised, That's right. you know? Yeah. So then, um, we have number two, wisdom must be read as a collection. Okay. So the wisdom verses are balanced with other verses kept in the context of the whole book. So Proverbs are great to use in your life as, as one verse here and there, but don't give too much into that without thinking about a well-rounded theology. Yeah, that's okay? right. Mm-hmm. For instance, we might, this is a funny example, Proverbs 21, 22 says, A wise man will attack a city. So if I want to be wise, Brian, should I go attack a city? That's what I said. <laughs> that's what I said right there. No, of course not, right? It's got to be balanced with what we know about theology and what we read in the context of what this is even saying. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So, like, no, it's not telling us to attack a city. What it's telling us is that you will be, if you read the whole of that, we kind of played a game there. Mm-hmm. If you read the whole of that, the context of that, it's telling you that a wise person will be able to attack a city and overcome his enemies. A wise person is going to be able to overcome the problems in your life, right? And so we know the rest of the Bible would not just be okay with you going out and meleeing a bunch of people for no reason. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> you know? So third, you know, wisdom is worded to be memorable, not to, you know, be Theoretically, theoretically accurate, accurate mm-hmm. right? So no proverb is a complete statement of all truth, okay? No proverb is so perfectly worded that it can stand up to the unreasonable demand that it applies to every situation at every time. Uh, we use common sense and good judgment to interpret them correctly. Again, it's a principle, mm-hmm. right? And so it's not, and, it, and it's supposed to be memorable. So think of this. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Yeah, is this pointing out that uh, the type of plants that are found in the the root of a lazy person? You know, so like <laughs> a lazy person gets up, they try to walk, and there'll be thorns in their path. Of no. course not. No. This is using some uh, some some illustration to tell us that diligence is better than laziness. Right. That there can be pain, there can be suffering in the path of a lazy person. Right. But if you walk 
in the upright, the righteous way, in a diligent way, then your way will be easier. And it's not to say that a lazy person will always have a terrible life, right? I right. mean, the, the principle is not saying that it's impossible for a lazy person to have it good. It's just saying, like, generally speaking, their life is not easy. Right. So, four. Number four, some wisdom needs to be translated to be appreciated, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. Some of the things, you know, like like, it doesn't immediately come through with without the context. For instance, here's an easy example. Uh, Proverbs 25, 23. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Okay, right. We do not have houses built like they did. We don't have flat roofs. Um, it doesn't translate well. You know, if, if we're thinking in, in modern language, you could mm. say something like, it's better to live in a yard barn mm. than a spacious house with a woman that you never should have married. You right. know, it's trying to contextualize it a little bit for us to, to, to understand what they're saying versus what we're going through. And so yeah. we've got to try to understand first, of course, always what the author is intending and then mm. how it applies to us. So yeah. those are some of the rules uh, of how to interpret wisdom literature. You know, these are all so very valuable to our Christian walk. I mean, all of the word of God, the whole counsel of God is important. And it, and I don't think we can, uh, it, it's really dangerous to say one is more important right. than the other. Oh, yeah. No, you know, we don't want to be so wisdom literature, poetry, songs, they're right there. There's a, there's a purpose and a use and we must read them and study them. Yeah, absolutely. Because they help us to put our emotions and our faith into practice. They give us super practical outworkings of of your faith, yeah. what you believe and how you feel. Mm-hmm. So we need to study them. We need to know them. We need to use them. And uh, we need to understand how they're intended to be used because they're going to help us relate to God right. in our situations yeah. too. What's so, the what's the best way you found to read or study uh, these books? You know, so I gave the example of like songs. Um, you know, it's a great great opportunity in your prayer life to mm-hmm. use the Psalms. Mm-hmm. You know, to think through right. in, in yes. worship. You know, things like that. What do you think? Yeah, no, that's that is great. That's that's a super helpful thing. What I like to do there's there's times and seasons probably like once a year. At least, well, I don't even know if it's that often. I don't have like a rigid plan, but what I do is I, I like to do the Psalms of the day. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I think we've talked about that before where you, you read, um, like if today is the eighth, you would read Psalm eight mm-hmm. and you would add 30 to that. You would read Psalm 38 and then 68 and then so on and so forth until you run out of Psalms. You would read, so you'd end up reading five Psalms a day. If you did that every day, you would read through the book of Psalms each month. Okay? Oh, wow. So I've actually done that for an entire year where I would read through the book of Psalms mm-hmm. every month. Yeah. Uh, and so that's that takes a little bit well, of Well, you can do this with um, the Proverbs, Proverbs as well. Exactly. There's 31 chapters of Proverbs. You can read a One chapter a day, a day mm-hmm. and get through that in a month, and that's so helpful as well. I've done that in the past where I've read one of the Psalms a day, of the day and, <clears> one, and the Proverb of the day. And so I would read through. I read through the book of Psalms in the year, and I read through the book of Proverbs once a month. Mm-hmm. And that was really helpful. Yeah, those are helpful. That they don't connect uh, as much because there's there's individual kind of chapters yeah, in there. Exactly. Uh, you know, you look at Ecclesiastes, Song of Song, uh, Job. You know, those those really need to be studied and read as like 
whole, a whole book. book. I'm not yeah. saying you got to sit down and read the whole book at one time, no. but but it's more like you're thinking, okay, I'm beginning this book and I'm reading I, through it and I'm connecting yeah. all of these pieces as I go through it because Job is an epic poem. Right. There's a narrative right. within the poetry that's happening. That's right. Yeah, I, I like to read. Yeah, that's exactly right. I like to read that as as its own unit. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a lot easier to do, um, better to do that way. I mean, what I do is I I'll read like one book of the Bible that I'm kind of like this is the book I'm going through, and then I'll have like the Psalm of the day and the Proverb of the day that I'll that I'll try that's to great. read as well. Yeah. So that's that's a hopefully that's helpful to, to people and mm-hmm. how to use these books in your life. They are very valuable. Every Christian yeah. should. Uh, should use these writings That's right. as a part of your as a part of your life. Amen. So, well, we hope that this has been helpful. Uh, I know it's a lot, but it's really. I mean, understanding the Bible. I mean, it, it takes it takes work. You know, getting to know people, being in a relationship with someone isn't always easy, but it's always worth it. That's right. Especially when it's God. Okay? Right. So we hope that this has helped you, and we're just really thankful that you're listening. Yep. Thank you for being with us today. Yep. So thanks for listening. We'll see, see you next time. Some podcast. <laughs> that should be our thing. Are you ready? That's that should be our start. Are you ready for some podcast? That would be great. We should totally do some that. Some family for life. <laughs> Party. Family for life. General Rock. Okay. Okay. All right. Here we go. You ready? <clears throat>